Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. A quick cold open here because I want to mention two things to you before we get underway with our Tour de France preview with Justin and Justin. Uh, The first actually has to do with the Tour de France preview. The Tour de France, as we said several times in our preview, begins on Saturday, August 29th, and we're all super excited about that. We recorded our preview on Saturday, August 22nd, so a week ahead of time. Um, And we kind of made jokes in there, at least I made some jokes, about how some people that record it really, really early, you can always tell that because uh, some of their picks to win are now not going to be doing the tour. Uh, Either their teams chose to sit them out or they were injured or or something else like that. Um, Well, we thought we were avoiding that by, by going late, and maybe we did still, but it is worth mentioning here as we release the podcast only a couple of days ahead of the Tour de France that at least one of the major contenders that we talked about and that all three of us uh, mentioned as a possible podium contender, uh, Primoz Roglic from uh, Jumbo Visma. Uh, He is, in fact, uh, in doubt right now for the Tour de France. And so he had some injuries and a crash in the Criterium du Dauphiné. And so we'll have to see whether he's uh, able to make it to the starting line in just a couple days here uh, for the Tour de France. So his team has said that that it's not a 100% certainty, um, but we certainly hope he's able to make it to the starting line. The second thing is to say that we here at the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast are planning ahead for our next podcast, the one that's going to be released during the week of uh, August 31st. Um, And we're going to have a listener question episode there. Um, Throughout the course of the podcast, throughout the course of the the, the weeks when we're recording podcasts, we periodically get questions and we usually try to answer them via email or on Facebook or however it is they come in. Um, And we wanted to kind of hit pause and actually address a couple of the questions that people have sent in uh, because we think that they're that more people than just the folks who have listened to them or who sent them in um, would be interested in the answer. So if you have a question um, about training or about racing or about something we've said or something else like that, um, by all means, reach out to us and let us know. Um, And we will be sure to address that in next week's podcast, the one that we're releasing during the week of August 31st. Um, One question I will address very quickly um, is the book that we're reading right now. It's called Running Home by Katie Arnold. Um, And I'm about five chapters into it. And hopefully you've gotten a copy and you're reading it as well. Um, A friend reached out to me and said that we mentioned the book a couple of podcasts ago. We said the name of it. But then when Michelle and I referenced it last week in the podcast, we actually never really said the name of it. So again, I apologize for that. But it is Running Home by Katie Arnold. So get a copy, uh, download it on Audible, uh, give it a listen, give it a read. Um, I've, I've very much enjoyed it so far. And I'm sure that you all will too. I look forward to hearing everybody's reflections on it. So without further ado, on with the podcast. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They're invested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. 
They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all of the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayRx. You can find them at www.slayrx.com. SlayRx is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayRx was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes, and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayRx offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products, and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gels, try SlayerX Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running, and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2020 at checkout on their website, and you'll get 10% off anything you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, Pleasant2020. Test, don't guess, with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast possible. Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. And we have today two very special guests that are going to be talking about cycling. Right. Justin and Justin, welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hey, George. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, let's start. Uh, let's start with uh, with you, Justin Dugan. Uh, Justin, tell us how long you've been a cycling fan. Tell us about your 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 background. Tell us about your life. Give us the whole shebang. Okay. Um, I have been a cycling fan for probably probably about twelve, ten to twelve years. I got into it um, as a Lance Armstrong fan, um, and that probably is going to split the room. Um, but <laughs> I was I was excited watching his comeback and uh, kind of got hooked. Um, watching that and then I became a really really big cycling fan probably in 2012 watching uh, the tour and getting on the Bradley Wiggins uh, bandwagon I was a big fan of his mm-hmm. and that that's kind of where it all started and I've been a endurance athlete triathlete for probably 10 12 years about the same time so I've uh, I've always wished that triathlon could be bike 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 rather than swim bike run <laughs> uh, I think I would probably do a little bit better that way yeah. Right on, right on. And we should say that, that, that you're, a, you're a brand ambassador for SlayRx, one of our sponsors, right? Yes, I got hooked on SlayRx before there was, I think, a name for it. I got handed some vials of powders <laughs> at a Starbucks parking lot 
and uh, a pat <laughs> on the back. Sounds a little sketchy, buddy. <laughs> it, it, I, I, they said you're going to feel you said, great. You said and, you're a Lance Armstrong fan. I, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, exactly. I was, I was okay taking whatever they gave me, and I was like, hey, I'll try this. Um, and my first comments were about how good it tasted, and then how good I felt. And I put it uh, to use in the 70.3 in Chattanooga the year after I completely blew up on the run and had a terrible walk. And then the following year, I used Slay RX, drank it the whole race and ran, you know, one of my fastest half marathons ever at the end of a hot 70.3. So uh, nothing but good thing to, to say about that. I'm a big sweater. I'm a big uh, depleter of all my nutrients. And those guys really saved the day. So. Right on, man. Good to uh, have them on board with me as well as uh, hearing them on board with the show. Right on, right on. They are good supporters of the show. I, and, and, and we very much appreciate them. So, so good to hear. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, I realize times are kind of uncertain right now, Justin Dugan, but, but what's the next race on your calendar? Do you know? Do you have a big target out there? Um, I had 70.3 Chattanooga and 70.3 Memphis on the calendar this year, but those are now uh, swept to next year. Um, so my fingers are crossed. I have signed up for the Cloudland Canyon 50K, mm -hmm. which is in December, mm -hmm. and that'll be my first uh, crack at that distance. So mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of trail running at Kennesaw Mountain, and uh, I'm really hoping that I have a race on the calendar. I haven't run a race since March, so I'm looking forward to that. Right on, man. I did that race last year. I, mean, I did that in February of 2019 before they moved it to December. Oh, really? So, yeah. yeah, lots of stairs. Cool. <laughs> I, it, it, there were so many stairs going down into the canyon and coming back out of the canyon. I actually went back to the race materials afterwards and I was like, where did it say there were stairs? And it didn't I, say anywhere that there were stairs. And so yeah, I'm telling I you now, there's stairs. I watched a couple of videos okay, there you uh, and go. I saw a lot, a lot of stairs. So I was like, hey guys, we're going to be running up and down stairs <laughs> a good bit. And uh, I have a five and a three-year-old, so I'm used to going back and forth up, up and down the stairs. So I think that's, that's good practice. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. We're glad you're here. Glad you're here. Justin Smith, we're glad you're here too, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, so, so same thing. Give us the whole shebang. Tell us how long you've been a cycling fan, what your, what your background is and all that. Uh, so I have been a cycling fan since the 2008 Olympics. Um, after I watched it, I got my first road bike. And then uh, a few months later, upgraded to my more expensive road bike and just kept <laughs> going. Uh, did some racing for you know a few years got myself up to a cat three um no longer racing uh now just doing uh the running part but uh been watching cycling for what 12 years now mm -hmm. so right on right on yeah i i feel like my my uh fandom kind of follows the same general path that y'all's does that that it was kind of in the late 2000s and it, it was also when i started riding a bike myself Cause I think it's kind of like track and field and that you have to kind of do it to appreciate what's going on, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, certainly. So, so, um, but Justin, why the two Justin Smith, why the, uh, 2008 Olympics? That, that seems like a very precise starting point. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. So I was watching the Olympics and I was watching the uh, time trial and the road race. And when I was younger, I, you know, high school, college, I, I always wanted to, ride a bike and I was like you know what I can afford it now so I'm gonna it looked fun I was a runner in high school and so it just kind of came natural and just got addicted to it right after I got my first bike but yeah I just remember sitting there 
I can't remember who won the Olympic. Sammy Sanchez. Sammy, that's right, Sanchez. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was on the tip of my tongue, but I remember watching. Fabian Cancelar like, made that big move over the last big yes. lap and wow. uh, yeah. and made a selection of about five guys, and Sammy Sanchez won the sprint. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You better memory than I have on it. <laughs> well, it's because yeah. while you were talking, I was sitting here thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I just remember, it was just I was I was hooked after that. I, I loved it. It was, mm-hmm. you know, and and watching it. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I do have like all of the World Cycling Production uh, Tour de France DVDs. So, <laughs> right uh, on. That's how nerdy I got with it. Right on, right on. Yeah, I always found myself when whenever like when I'm on the trainer doing a particularly if I'm doing a workout, but if I'm doing a ride, like I'm very picky about what I can watch on television, what I can't, and and. For whatever reason, watching cycling on television while I'm actually riding my bike on the trainer, that's always palatable. Um, and I, I want to say that, that when I was strictly a cyclist from about 2008 until about 2012, um, I, that used, I used to watch it just all the time. Um, and uh, and that's, that's how I really became a big fan. Um, and just literally watching every pedal stroke of every stage of the Tour de France. So, yeah. Which, yeah. which we're going to be talking a lot about today. So um, we actually were originally planning. You know, I, I feel like on the podcast, I reached out in like December and said, if anybody wants to come on and talk about cycling, because I can't get Patrick and Michelle to talk about cycling with me. If any of y'all want to come on, uh, reach out to me. And both of y'all reached out and we were planning on doing this in March. But then, of course, we know what happened in March, and, and that affected the pro sports world uh, in every sport, including, of course, cycling. In cycling, I think it was particularly vexing because they spend such, so much time in those tight little bubbles, uh, the cyclists themselves. And then the crowds, of course, are so massive, um, and, and they're spread along the roads and everything. So cycling ended up shutting down in March after just barely starting to get the season going. Um, and then they opened back up on august 1st really was that that, that about what, right fellas the, uh yes yeah, yeah. Uh, with strada bianchi right right so they they had a couple of like national championships that went on in july and stuff like that um but the real restart of everything started on the first uh, august 1st of of uh of uh, well, August 1st, uh, they released the plans in early May and then, then said August 1st, but what they decided to do, <laughs> um, and fellas, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this rather than, than canceling races, they basically rescheduled the entire season and they put the entire six or seven month cycling season into about three months into mm-hmm. August, September, and October, um, such that the season is going to be ending basically in, in that first week of November. Over the course of those 90 days, they put about 40 events. Um, and events are not just one-day things. You know, the Tour de France, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about here, that's 21 days or 21 races over the course of 23 days. Um, and so they jammed all these things together over the course of three months. And that's kind of what we're seeing now. Um, it's, it's strange because, like you said, Strada Bianca was, was, was on August 1st. And normally that's when, like April? April. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually early April. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then the, the, all these races that are normally in, in March and April, some of them took place in August. Uh, Paris-Roubaix, which normally takes place the first week in April, that's going to be taking place in October. <laughs> on October 25th and so just this really odd thing and then in addition to that you have you have all of these like overlapping things going on um the the Giro d'Italia the 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 Grand Tour of Italy which is normally in May that got moved to October 
October right? 3rd. Yeah. Um, October 3rd. Is that what you said, Justin? Yeah. The 3rd through the 25th. Yeah. And then, and it, it actually overlaps with the grand tour of Spain, the, the Vuelta a España, uh, which is normally in September. Um, and, and then they have all of these single one day races that are normally in the spring that are happening during the Giro d'Italia and during the Vuelta a España. Um, and so it's kind of nuts on top of everything else. They announced just this week that the world championships are canceled. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so they're, they're just flat not having them because, uh, Switzerland where they were supposed to be held, uh, basically said, you can't have a big event like that in Switzerland. They were actually going to be overlapping with the last day of the tour de France and, and, and they ended up announcing that. So I, I guess probably first thing let's talk about here in, in talk, we're, we're going to be focusing most of our time about on, on the tour de France, but let's talk first. Uh, Justin Dugan, what effect do you think this is going to have? Like just this weird setup that we're in. I, I think that the setup is going to be kind of like a bunch of kids that have been stuck inside for a quarantine mm -hmm. getting let back into school. And I think being <laughs> that we're in Georgia, we kind of saw that with a bunch of kids going back to school with no masks and all those schools got shut down pretty quickly. And I think we've seen it a little bit in some of the races before the Tour de France is all these guys are back out on the road. They're all looking forward to racing. They've missed so much of their season and they're looking for something and they're taking chances that they probably shouldn't. They're all jockeying for positions that they might not deserve and they're crashing. And yeah. I have a feeling that the early stages of the Tour de France might be messy because we're going to see guys that are just, you know, it's, it's when the barn doors open, the horse wants to run. And these guys are going to go crazy, I think, um, and, and, and be a little wild and reckless. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I had in my notes I wanted to talk about all the crashing that's taken place over the course of the first couple of weeks here of the season. And the Tour de France starting next week, I hadn't even thought about, because the Tour de France, the first week of that is usually so, like, tense and crash-filled anyway yeah. for that reason. I hadn't thought about it as, as a – I had thought about it as a skills thing. I had thought about the fact that, oh, well, they haven't raced in a while, so it's almost like they're sort of rusty and they're crashing. I hadn't oh, sure. thought about it in terms of, of, well, they also are probably taking risks they wouldn't normally take because they're so desperate for a result. Um, and, and maybe, they've, maybe they're checking their good sense at the door. Um, <laughs> it, it's um, probably a, a strong combination of both of those things. You know, the guys that are looking to knock the rust off and the other guys that are looking to make a name for themselves because they haven't this season. Yeah, right on. Justin Smith, what do you think? I think it's kind of like track and field, how um, you watch the track, especially Monaco, it's everybody's come out, you know, ready to race. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, at, uh, the Criterium de Dauphine, it's, I mean, it was racing from the beginning. So mm -hmm. it, like, and I agree that probably it's going to be a pretty crazy first week of the tour uh, with everybody trying to, you know, get a result because you know they're going to need contracts for next year but uh, and then you know you've had everybody training and getting their I guess whiff miles in mm -hmm. and so um, it it really seems like there's a lot of guys just ready to go right now yeah yeah interesting what what do y'all what do y'all think do you think it's going to impact people's fitness because you know in cycling so much of what they do I mean they do workouts but but really and truly cycling because there's so many races on the calendar they race into shape you know the races are their workouts that, that's how they get super fit do you think we're going to be seeing people going into the tour starting next week being less fit 
Definitely. So do you think that's going to make a difference? I think for some of the smaller teams and some of the not so not so guaranteed their shots at GC teams, I think there's going to be a lot of guys that aren't in the fitness that they would be in right now that probably took a couple of hard months off and are behind schedule. You know, I thought, I think they probably thought that the season was going to start, then it didn't. And then they didn't know what to do. Some people lived in places where they don't have a good indoor training setup and they weren't allowed to go out and ride and they probably had too much time off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on. Justin Smith, what do you think? I'd probably say, yeah. You know, I, I think maybe watching the, some of the races that it seems like one team is ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One team, yeah. that's that's Jumbo Visma, I'm going to I'm assume you're going to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the other guys, yeah, they might have not come in so um, so ready to race. But yeah, I guess that, that, that one team is kind of skewing my perspective maybe a little bit. Hmm. And I, I, and I, it, it does kind of make me wonder, because I agree with you, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more here in the teams and the contenders and all that sort of thing here in just a second. But, but it does make me wonder, like, what they did that was different, you know? That there, there was a Tour de France, a virtual Tour de France, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, last month, you know? It was on Zwift, and it was, it was, it was only six events over the course of three weekends. Um, and they did it by team. And if you watched that, you would have thought that, like, uh, NTT and, and Israel startup nation were like on fire and just going to destroy everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and now that the racing actually out on the roads has started, you haven't really seen them at all. Um, and, and, and Yumbo Visma, who's so great, they were hardly really there at all as, as well as Enios. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Evidently, Yumbo Visma was doing something right, and and whatever yeah. they were doing right did not include the virtual Tour de France on Zwift. <laughs> not, not at so. all. Those guys are ready, ready for the tour tomorrow. They they would win if it were tomorrow, probably. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it is almost tomorrow. So, and by by the time I put this out, the, the tour will be starting tomorrow. So, so yeah, yeah. we'll see. Um, I, I think it's also interesting too with all the overlapping races, like you have to consider your calendar differently if you're a team manager or if you're a rider, you know, like there's only two weeks this year between the tour de France, which is a particularly tough tour de France, a very tough parkour, um, then to the Giro d'Italia. Um, and so you can't, it's pretty much going to be impossible for anybody to, to, to double and finish both the tour and the Giro. And then of course, because the Giro and the Vuelta actually literally overlap with one another, you can't do both of those. Those would normally be three or four months apart. So you could peak for one, you could rest, recover, and then kind of go into the other one. You can't do both of those either. Um, not to mention the fact that, that if somebody wants to do, do the Tour de France, but their real focus is those classics, those one-day races, which are normally in the spring, like they're not going to wipe themselves out in the Tour de France in order to do – if, if their real focus is going to be the, those races later on. So I, I think the condensed season also – it's changing their decisions about what is the most important race of the year um, and, and how it is they're going to partition out their riders for all of these various things. I mean, what do y'all think about that? I, I totally agree with you. I think if somebody is shooting to win Flanders, they're not going to kill themselves over, you know, a bunch of climbs and a uphill time trial 
and blow themselves apart when they don't have as much time to rest and you know recoup for a big spring spring classic in the fall Mm -hmm. spring classic in the fall right right justice smith what do you think yeah i I, well i thought it was interesting that um originally uh uh, garrett thomas was planning on trying to be a co-leader at the tour and then go and ride the classics so Mm -hmm. um that was something i thought was interesting but um i think and 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 now he's changed his mind now he's going to the zero and and (laughs) george George, you think he changed his mind so yeah okay (laughs) i don't know if you watched those uh interviews those videos that any of us put out i he looked he looked like a company man all right good to know know. And, and um well, it's like my, the thing, I think I remember texting you when they released the calendar. It was like, how are they going to field teams for all these races? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I know they did a roster reduction mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I believe. So, you know, it's. Yeah. And the, and the UCI said, the governing body of cycling said that, that you can have a roster reduction this year. Um, they said that, that you can have fewer people on the starting line for each one of these races and you would still count as a race for your team and for your UCI points and all that sort of thing because they recognize that that's going to be a really, really hard thing to do. It's probably going to benefit the women's teams actually even more than the men's teams, as a matter of fact. But, um, but, but, but yeah, um, so, so I, I, think, I think that's going to have a big thing to do with it as well. Um, and then two other things I want to talk about, about the, the nature of this weird season and how it potentially can affect the tour before we actually start talking about the tour itself, since the tour is starting on the 29th of August, which is, seems so strange to say. Um, one, and Justin, Justin Dugan, I know this is something that you follow pretty closely. Uh, the transfer season actually overlaps the Tour de France this year. Um, yes. And, um, and, and, that's, and, and that's strange. So, so talk a little about how transfer season normally works and why it matters that this year that transfer season is actually on top of the biggest event of the year. So I'm usually, I usually pretty much follow the transfers because during the Tour de France, all the rumors come out. And that's, that's a fun <laughs> part while you're watching to hear the buzz about this guy may be going here or this guy may be going here or this guy signed a deal, but he can't say until – August 1st, because usually, usually it's August 1st before you can announce anything. And now there have been so many people that are confirmed and riding for other teams that you're going to watch the tour and go, well, this guy's not even going to be here next year. Why is he doing the work? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and he's going to be thinking that too. <laughs> oh, certainly. I mean, and you're, you're seeing some of these guys that uh, didn't get invited to the tour. I mean, Chris Froome is a prime example. Um, to, to check his form, obviously he had a terrible accident and he was coming back to racing this year and he looks like he's riding like he had a terrible accident and trying to come back and he, he wasn't to form. And, you know, you can say maybe it was Team Enios holding him back and they didn't want him to ride full gas at, at the Dauphiné and, and they were going to, you know, see how he looked and he didn't look good and he signed for somebody else. So bye-bye, no, right. no shot at the tour for you this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and you're seeing it with some of the other teams. I mean, some of the transfers like CCC, I mean, it looks like somebody farted in an elevator with the way those people are leaving the team. I mean, <laughs> there, I was looking at the list. It was like five or six guys all, all out of CCC. I don't know who's going to be on that team next year. Right. Um, so 
yeah, it, it's it's kind of going to be exciting to see the people and and what they do, be, being that there's going to be a lot of people riding for teams that they're not going to be riding for in only a few months. Right, right. And I, and I feel like, you know, Chris Froome is a really good example, I think, of like a, of, of a mega star that that the fact that he's going to be on a different team next, next year certainly factored into the fact that his team this year did not make him their leader for the Tour de France. Obviously, like, like, I I think that's a good example, but, but I think there's all sorts of like second tier people like domestiques, helpers, role players who, who they're going to different teams too. And when they're halfway, three quarters of the way up a, up a mountain, (laughs) are are they, are they going to help the person that's going to be on their team this year? Or are they going to help the person that they know is going to be on their team next year? Are they going to start relationship building for, for next year? um, Given that, and I, I think that's, like you said, that's that's not something we normally normally you have the rumors going during the tour, and and you see some of the stuff play out that we're talking about during the Volta, but normally you don't actually see that during the tour itself, and that's something we're actually seeing this year. Oh um, yeah, definitely. Justin Smith, what do you think, man? Yeah, it's gonna be interesting because I know um, yeah, I was just reading yesterday or today that uh, Richie Port is possibly coming back to uh, Ineos, so you know that's another example of. Another example of, of, of somebody who, who he has been there before and, and might have been the leader for them. And, and of course, you know, we'll, we'll end up seeing what happens there. So, so yeah. George, George and uh, Justin, too, do you think he's going to be coming back hoping to get a leadership role with Ineos uh, <laughs> Grenadier? So, so, so great question. Like, if he, if he thinks that's going to happen, <laughs> then he is far more naive than I thought. Uh, I, from, from what I read, he he knows that this is his last chance. So okay, I, I, I hope he's going to be good at carrying water bottles. Then <laughs> I feel like Richie Port, who we'll talk more about later on. Richie Port is is a great, fantastic, and we would all agree to this one week stage racer, right? Yeah, um, oh, definitely. And, and if he was going to break through to the Grand Tour level, he'd have broken through by now. And so for me, him going back to Ineos, if in fact that that does happen. If he ends up going back to Ineos, that to me suggests that he's finally owning up to to who he actually is, and that yeah, he's I giving actually, he's he's giving up on being a Grand Tour winner, and he's like, okay, maybe they'll put me in some one week tours, and I'll be a role player in the Grand Tours. Um, yeah, I've but, actually got the stage. He's probably going to crash out this year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about one. that when we talk about the course. <laughs> The uh, the yeah we'll, we'll talk about the uh, we'll talk about the Richie Port crash out stage and we'll talk about the the Tino the Thibaut Pino dropout stage. Um, so so we'll talk about each of those in, in, in due time. Um, all right, and then the last thing we want to talk about when we talk about the context in which the uh, the Tour de France is is happening this year um, is of course with COVID nineteen. Um, and so you heard me day, say just a minute ago that it was just like last week that they actually announced the UCI announced that Switzerland where the world championships were supposed to be hosted said you can't have a big bike race here a series of bike races here um and and it's not like you can just sort of throw together a bike race and so that probably means even though the uci said they were looking for other options there's not going to be a world championship of cycling this year Mm -hmm. um and and it kind of does make you wonder okay so so what's going to happen if in fact something happens with COVID-19 at the Tour de France? Um, a couple of riders on Ineos, as a matter of fact, I saw uh, just yep. today um, tested, tested positive at, what was it, was it the Italian national championships? Was it? 
Um, uh, oh, where did I make it? Was it was at? Uh, I didn't write it down. But Wait, yeah, Justin was, uh, Smith said it. What'd you say, Justin? Uh, apparently, one of the guys in the group tested positive, and they pulled three of them from the Italian national championships. Okay. Okay. Right. And then there was a there was a uh, an American rider uh, that tested positive this week as well, Wambos. Uh, he tested positive back at Lombardia, and they ended up pulling off, uh, pulling out him and a couple of his teammates that had run uh, done there with him as well. Uh, the UCI did say this week, okay, so when we're at the tour, if there's one person on your team that tests positive, and evidently they're going to be testing regularly, um, if, if not every day, they're going to be testing regularly. They said if there's one person on your team, your staff, your riders, your entourage, the whole big crew, if there's one person, that person gets taken out. If you have two people, the whole team, the whole entourage is out. Wow. Um, and so, you know, it, what, ha what happens, in fact, if we get up to the Queen stage around stage 17 and, and you have Egan Bernal defending his jersey and set, to, uh, set, set to, to destroy everything and you have two massage therapists on Ineos that test positive, <laughs> the whole team is going to be gone. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the questions I had uh, for you, George, is – you know, what, what do you think the teams are going to say? Like, do you think in the record books there's going to be an asterisk next to this year? Or 15 years from now, is it going to be so-and-so won the Tour de France? Oh, wow. Like, how, how did that person win? And nobody's, <laughs> no, nobody's going to really know. Like, nobody's going to look into it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like the year that the baseball season was shorter. Wasn't that 95 when the Braves won? That, that they played less, less baseball games? Nobody, nobody – See, I didn't even know that. I just know the Braves won the World Series. I didn't know it was a shortened season. <laughs> I, I, I think that was the one that was affected by the strike. And, you know, there was a few less games. And nope, nobody talks about that. Everybody in Atlanta waves the banner anyway. Right on, right so, on. I mean, you know, we'll, you know, let's say Jumbo Visma has two guys out. Let's say uh, Grenadier has two guys out and, you know, somebody from NTT wins, you know, mm -hmm. they'll be in the record book just the same, probably. I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, Justin Smith, you answer that question first and then I'm going to say what I'm going to say. So, so what do you think? Do you think 15 years? Okay. So let's just say, what if, COVID-19 asserts itself in the Tour de France and affects the outcome. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Um, do you think there's going to be an asterisk next to it? Do you think anybody in 15, 20 years is going to remember, oh, well, the only reason why – I'll pick somebody random. The only reason why, why uh, Mikhail Landa, because I don't think he's ever going to win a Grand yeah. Tour, the only reason why <laughs> Bout Molema won <laughs> – yeah. is because is because you know all the good teams got thrown out and only 40 people finished the race um yeah, and, i think if it's uh if it's a non-frenchman yeah it's it will be the, <laughs> the year that the tour you know lost half the you know contenders but if it's a frenchman that wins if like Thibaut pino wins oh you better believe it's not going to be uh any asterisk on that one it's that's an excellent be, point Frenchman mm -hmm. winning. Excellent point. Yeah, if, if, if a Frenchman wins, the, in France, the story will be that, that not only did they overcome the other teams and the mountains, but they also overcame coronavirus. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be the hardest tour ever. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It is a pretty hard tour, but it was even yeah. harder because they not only beat everything else, but they beat a global pandemic. That's yeah. how marvelous French riders are. Excellent yep. point, Justin Smith. Um, I, think, um, I, I think if, in fact, that happens, I think that, that, that 
the the grand tour winner will will be afforded all the laurels of a grand tour but i think it will kind of be like be when oscar Pereira won the game uh won the 2006 tour after mm-hmm. floyd landis was disqualified you know mm-hmm. like floyd landis crossed the line and got to spend the night in the nice hotel there on the champs elysees and all that sort of thing and then the the day or two later that's when they they he tested positive and 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 they took it away and gave it to Oscar Pereira. So Oscar Pereira is a Grand Tour winner, right? He has mm-hmm. the yellow jersey, and that's you know if you go to Wikipedia and Tour de France, that's what it says. Um, but if you actually read the story of the 2006 Tour de France, you know you know a little bit more. So that's what I think it would be. Um, I think that that if uh, Frankie Frankie Ovet uh, were to end up winning, I don't even think he's riding. Uh, were to en- end up winning the tour, uh, I think we would probably say, "Well, the reason why he won that tour—that's the year that this and this and this happened." But I still think it would be a pretty magnificent accomplishment, obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, excellent question. Um, we'll see. You know, and, and I—I I, you never want any of these sorts of things to be the reason why it happens, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like I—you never want somebody to be winning and to crash out. Like you never want people to, to have to drop out uh, and lose because they were injured um, um, or because of bad luck or because they got caught behind a train or even because of mechanical, even though that's, that's a, such a fundamental part of cycling. Um, and so I really, you know, I think it's totally possible um, that the, the scenario that we're talking about could happen, that teams could get sent home and, and like more than one team could get sent home um, and, and that, could, that could influence the outcome. Um, but hey, I George, hope it doesn't. Do you think that any of the teams and I, you know, I hate to think that this type of thing would still be prevalent in cycling. Do you think anybody would tamper with tests or lie or, mm-hmm. um, any, anything in regards to that or, or I fire do. a per like test, test individually as a team. And if somebody comes up with it, you're fired, get out. Yeah, I do think so. Um, I, 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 I don't, yeah, I do think so. Um, I think actually that last thing you just said, I think is an interesting strategy. So, oh, so sure. yeah, test, it, it would, it I mean, would, yeah, t- you, you test everybody three hours before the UCI comes in and tests them. And if anybody tests positive, you fire them real quick and you send them away and then they test 100% yeah. of your people and you're all COVID free. Yep. That's, find some, find somebody working, you know, at, at the flower shop down the road, throw a shirt on them. You know, you're yeah. the new, you know, swan, you're. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's, that's totally possible. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, I don't know whether that follows the spirit or the letter of the rules. It probably doesn't follow the spirit of the rules at all, but I don't, I don't know if that follows the letter of the rules or not, but, but I could totally see that happening. I, in, in what if there are positive tests that are covered up, take it even to the next level. Cause you know that the UCI and we're going to get pretty deep in the weeds here, but you know, the UCI was complicit with like a lot of Lance Armstrong's covering up doping tests and all that sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yep. so, what if Egan Bernal has, again, just he's, he's winning, he's on the precipice of winning his second in a row, it's this marvelous tour. Or what if, you know, a Frenchman, what, what if Julian Alaphilippe is, is, is about to win and, and it's, it's fantastic and wonderful, um, you know, are, are the testing authorities maybe going to say, oh, yeah, no, this, this actually wasn't a positive test. Yeah, a, a we gave him a positive. second test an hour later and, and that one was negative and that's the one we're going to go with. Yep. Um, yeah, I, 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 think, I think all those things are certainly possible um i mean justin smith you're 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 more cynical than i am what do you think (laughs) uh i don't know if i'm more cynical now come on (laughs) Uh, uh i mean i could see something like that happening um you know it's big money to be in the tour so to be going home 
because of a couple of tests is, uh, you know, that could, you know, maybe not for a team like Ineos where they have lots of money, but for those smaller teams, you know, that that's uh, their yearly revenue right there. So yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Those smaller continental French teams. I mean, this is yeah. this is. Yeah, we're talking about all these other things, all these other considerations. For those little small French teams, there are no other considerations. This is it. Yeah. 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 I agree. All right, so let's talk about the tour. It starts on August 29th, Saturday, August 29th. It is 21 stages, as usual, two rest days along the way. You put all that together, it means it's going to finish on the 20th of September. Um, and like I said, it usually starts around July 4th and goes pretty much the entire month of July. I just dawned on me, actually, as I'm saying these dates, that means that we're not going to have a Bastille Day stage. Nope. Yeah. Sorry, French so, guys. Yeah, sorry, French guys. So, no, oh well. But uh, anyway, uh, this year it's 3,470 kilometers, which is about what it normally is. It's, it's usually right around that. Um, it's starting in Nice, down in the southeast corner of France. Um, and I heard one commentator say that there's no way to get out of that corner of France without going over hills. Um, and so, uh, and so it literally from the start, um, normally they're back in the day, like back when all of us start watching cycling, the standard tour de France was to have like six stages that were flat and that ended in sprint finishes or frankly for me kind of boring, at least in the last 10 K. Um, and they've been trying to mix it up a lot over the course of the past few years. And this year there is on stage two, there is 4,000 meters of climbing. Um, so more than 10,000 feet of climbing on stage two. Stage four actually has a mountaintop finish. Stage one, literally there is a climb out the gate. The first 8K of the entire race is uphill. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they're definitely kind of mixing it up here. Um, uh, 29 categorized climbs throughout the entire thing, five mountaintop finishes, a total of eight mountain stages, uh, nine flat stages, three hilly stages, and only one individual time trial, which comes on the second to last day of the tour. Uh, and this, the, the time trial, it's only 36 kilometers long, and it finishes with a six-kilometer climb up the Planche de Belfield. Um, and so one could argue it's not really even a true time trial there. So a very, yeah. very climb heavy, very, uh, very hilly, uh, lots of elevation type tour. Um, uh, Justin Dugan, talk what you think about that. Um, I, I think it's good. I think it will be a showcase for the teams that are ready. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm a big time trial guy. I think that not only the technology in a time trial is awesome to see, but um, the individual as well as the team time trial. Watching a team time trial is, is like watching a, a clockwork. It's beautiful. It's perfect. If these teams have guys that know what they're doing, it's, it's a piece of art to watch. Mm -hmm. And an individual time trial is a fun thing to watch too because you really see the engines come out and blow the race apart. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, when Chris Froome won his, when Bradley Wiggins won his, you know, those guys were perfection. Last year, Julian Alaphilippe, everybody was writing him off and saying, oh, he's going to lose a jersey this day. And then he won that stage. Yeah. When, when you see guys ride to perfection on the, a perfect-looking bike that probably costs $60,000 with all the custom-made parts for each individual guy, it's, it's really special to watch. Uh, and I'm sad there isn't more of that because something that I mentioned to you is, are these guys going to be changing bikes? Are they going to be riding with clip-ons on that stage? Um, but I think the amount of climbing is really going to shake up the race. And 
I, I think it's going to give an opportunity to the teams that don't have the exceptional workhorses in front of them. I think uh, Ineos Grenadier and Jumbo Visma, everybody knows it's, the, it's a race between those two teams. But I think the mountain stages are going to be great for the hanger honors. The uh, mm-hmm. Miguel Angel Lopez, the Nero Quintana, the Tede Bogachar. I think mm-hmm. all those guys have a big chance. You know, Thibaut Pinot, I think all those guys have a better chance at clinging to the groups because the big team's engines are going to be pulling them up the hills. And then it's going to be a group of 10 people racing to the top of a mountain. So I think that the the riders that don't have the biggest support teams are going to be a bigger factor because the big teams, they're going to be at the front. So, mm-hmm. you know, the guys just throwing a rope around them and <clears throat> hanging on for the ride mm-hmm. probably will get to showcase themselves a little more than if it were flatter and there were more sprint stages or if there were time trials, you know, then those guys wouldn't even be in the race. Right on, right on. Justin Smith, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was going through the actual stages and looking at the courses and the profiles and, uh, it actually got me pretty excited because, like you're saying, it feels like the tours, you know, follow that same sort of uh, formula of having a week of flat stages, and it's boring, and you you pretty much just tune in for the last 15 minutes of the race. But it seems like pretty much from day one, it's it's exciting racing. It's going to be kind of unpredictable. Um, I do wish they would throw in a couple more time trials because I, I do think I, I do enjoy watching them and, you know, the, the team time trials, but I, I think, you know, they talk about it. Um, it's like every year they talk about reducing time trials uh, so that the French teams or French riders <laughs> can have a better shot at it, but it still doesn't ever seem to really work out for them. But uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty excited. Um, There's a theme I, I, developing in your commentary, Justin, but keep going. <laughs> there might be a surprise in who I have on my, uh, in my top three GC guys, but uh, no, but, you know, I'm just, I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, I, I think there's going to be some surprises at the beginning. And then, you know, some of these stages that have, 150 kilometer flat run-ins into, you know, category one climbs. I think it's going to do some shaking up of some of those guys that are maybe not at the, you know, at top race fitness that, uh, you know, once you go from riding a big gear to trying to climb, you know, that's, I think it's going to catch some people out that, that uh, are not ready. So I'm pretty excited actually from day one on the tour. Right on. Yeah, I do too. I, I think there's so many things about it. I mean, you know, just take, first of all, what y'all said. Um, I, I, I like, I like time trials too. They're not the most fun to watch, but, but they add so much to the overall race, I feel like. Um, and, and I agree that that technology is, is so heavily, you know, uh, put into the time trials. So that can be sometimes be super interesting to see. And we're not going to see a whole lot of that, which is too bad. Um, but then like the team time trials, now I say they're not a whole lot of fun to watch. The team time trials, I feel like somebody who's not a fan of cycling would turn on a team time trial and be like, that's pretty cool looking. Yeah. Like they, they would think it looks cool. Um, After and, they wonder what, what's even going on here. Right. And, and then if somebody can kind of explain it to them, then yeah, they're like, wow, this is, this is neat. These guys in mm-hmm. you know, extra tight outfits and 
you know, they're Weird riding helmets. on each other's tires. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's, that's a cool, that's a cool race to watch when you can see the team time trial. Yeah. And so, so, so I am sorry. I do think you're right that that's probably going to help those smaller French teams um, to, to be able to, to, to not have to worry so much about that. Cause it, cause they don't tend to be as strong. Um, my, the thing that time trials really do though, is that time trials actually make the mountain stages more exciting. Um, mm -hmm. because you have these guys like Tom Dumoulin or even like Bradley Wiggins. You mentioned him at the outset, Justin Dugan, but um, that, that they don't climb as well as some of these other folks. And so that requires – but then you have Egan Bernal, who is, you know, 130 pounds soaking wet. Um, and so, so – which he doesn't time trial because he can't produce as much power as these sort of pure time trials. And so what that means is that when you go up in the mountains – now you have Egan Bernal has to attack in the mountains because he has to try and put distance in between himself and Tom Dumoulin or whoever the other time trialers are. Um, right. Primoz Roglic, who we'll talk about in just a little while here. Primoz Roglic is a fantastic rider, but he's definitely a better time trialer than climber, I would think. Um, and and Egan Bernal is 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 not going to be as inclined to to attack and try and put more as much space as possible between him and Primoz Roglic on these early climbing stages because Primoz Roglic won't have the opportunity to time trial to, to, to reduce those gaps back again. And mm -hmm. so um, I, I, I do worry that without the time trials in there, a lot of the climbers, a lot of the real pure climbers, the, the little Colombian guys are, are going to be kind of like looking at each other for a lot of these first few stages. And they're not going to be attacking one another and trying to create gaps and all that sort of thing. Cause they know they don't have to, because they can do it later on in the race. Cause there's plenty more climbs to come. Um, so we'll see. I do think it's just, I do think that, that the tour being so hard at the beginning, I do think that'll, that will be interesting for the end of the tour. And like what we were talking about, about how people are not quite as fit, presumably, or, or I think the fitness levels vary more. I think that might actually be a little bit more accurate. Like some people are, are I think, in pretty good shape. Yeah. Like Jumbo Visma is in really good shape. I don't know what they've been doing, but they're in really good shape. Some people like Ineos, like judging by the criteria of Dauphiné, they don't look like they're in very good shape. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, you know, it kind of, it, it does make me wonder like who's going to benefit, like it, you, you assume it would benefit the people who are in shape. Like now um, that the tour is going to start off really hard. You can't it's like, like fake it through those first flat few stages and get in shape, like literally during the first week of the tour um, right. and then try and do well at the end. Um, but those last few stages are going to be so hard because the first few stages are hard. There's no way to make, like, there's no way to sleep your way through a mountain stage with 4,000 meters of climbing in it. You know, um, so yeah, I, I, I think it'll make for a much different sort of tour, but we'll see. We'll see. So, so yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about some key stages here. Um, so I mentioned stage two with more than 4,000 feet of climbing stage four is the first summit finish of the race, which I feel so early, but, but that's when it is, uh, stage 13 is another mountain finish there. Uh, queen stage is stage 17. Um, that's the looks one like that's, a great stage. So that's the ones that finished at the Maribel. It's the Col de la Los, which is the first time that they've ever had it. This is, by the way, I should say this too. This tour is not leaning as much on its history as other ones have in the past. There's like 13 or 14 new climbs and new start towns and stuff like that in it. They're not going up the Alpe d'Huez at all. They're not going up Mont Ventoux at all. Um, and so, so it is a little bit different. Um, and then this one on the Queen stage, the Col de la Los, um, it's the highest point on the route. Um, it averages uh, more than 10% over the last 4K. It finishes at 2,300 meters of elevation. So it finishes at a mile and a half of elevation. Um, and so it's, a, it's on a 
path that normally cars aren't allowed to go on. It's a bike path that they just sort of tarmacked and, and, and goes up to the top of this mountain here. Um, and they've never used it before. Um, and then that's closely followed the next day by stage 18, uh, which is another tour in the Alps that has actually a gravel section in it. Um, so, so, and then, and then two days after that, you have the, uh, the, 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 the tour, the, the time trial on the, the Plains de Belfield. Um, Justin Smith, I'm going to call on you first since I've been, uh, I've been, I've been going to Justin Dugan first the whole time here. Justin Smith, what's, what's the, uh, what's the, the stage you're looking forward to the most? Um, I'm looking forward to, um, well, early on, I'm, I'm pretty excited about stage four because, uh, it'd be interesting to see who, uh, if any, uh, if like somebody like a Woot Van, uh, how do you say his name? Van Art. Wout Van Art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wout Van Art. Or <laughs> um, uh, if, if he can hang on for that, because, you know, I know it's a category one finish and, but typically like at the very beginning, the category ones are not the category ones later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be an interesting stage, um, and I'm really looking forward to stage 17. I think that's going to be exciting. But I mean, there's honestly, I love the, uh, the climbing stages, and there's just so many in here that could be exciting. Although my only concern, and I think I've, we've talked about this before on runs, is like that they're so hard sometimes that they just race the last 500 meters of the climb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, and especially with, you know, no time trials in there to kind of mix it up and needing makeup time, it, it could, that, that's my only concern with some of these stages. They look great on paper, um, but they, you know, it's, there's a concern that they kind of get neutralized most of the time. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there, there, it's definitely a trick that organizers have to have that you, you want to make the race hard. But if you make it too hard, all the riders will just basically kind of look at one another and say, we're going easy today, um, even, if, even if it's a really, really hard stage. And so, so yeah, when we're, when we're looking at it on paper, we're, we're definitely looking at it in the way that we want it to unfold, right? But, but I think that these, these potential differentials in fitness that we're talking about, because the season's been so strange, I think that, that they know that too, right? And so, so I, I think that, that, and they'll see that in one another. And so that makes me feel like, like even some of the, the, the GC contenders, the general classification contenders, they're going to try and be more opportunist. Um, they're going to, if, if they're on stage two or stage four, cause like the stage you just mentioned there, um, if Egan Bernal is on stage four and he's fit, or let's change it a little bit. If Primoz Roglic is on stage four and he's fit because he is, and Egan Bernal is not fit because he doesn't look like he is, <laughs> then, then is Primoz Roglic going to say, I'm going to go ahead and try and take time now. I'm going to try and be more of an opportunist right now. Yeah. Um, in, a, in a normal year, I think that Primoz Roglic and Egan Bernal would be coming into this tour in very similar fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think they are this time because the way the world has been and the way the pro sports have been and pro cycling has been over the course of the past few months here. And so I wonder if that's going to potentially mean that, that somebody like Primoz Roglic is actually going to try and take advantage. I hope so. I think it would definitely make it more interesting. Justin Dugan, what do you think? Um, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but I'm wondering if uh, Enios Grenadier is keeping their cards close to the vest. Okay. I, think that, yeah, I think that they just, I think they had a big week with their tour team selection that shocked news media by leaving five yellow jersey, you know, Tour de France winner winnings 
at home. I mean, yeah. by saying Chris Froome and uh, Garen Thomas, you guys can stay home. You guys can ride other other uh, Grand Tours. We're going with Egan. We built a team. I mean, the t- I think the team that Enios built for Egan Bernal is the best Tour de France winning team there is. So I, I'm putting Egan Bernal on the podium. Mm-hmm. Jumbo Visma's team is incredible. That mm-hmm. is an all-star team. That is Montgomery Burns. It's got buying, American on it. That, that's yeah. Montgomery Burns buying all of the <laughs> you know, best baseball players for the club softball team. Uh, it, it is, it's an all-star team. I'm not sure if they are as dialed into – Okay. The team is the dream as any of us is. And, okay. and that, that's the only difference I see between the two of them. I would put, you know, I would put plenty of money down that Jumbo Visma is going to win the tour. Uh, they look incredible. All those, every single one of them looks fitter than the next. I mean, Sepp Kuss is incredible. Uh, Wolf Van Aert is unstoppable. It seems mm-hmm. like Primos Roglic is unbelievable. I think in stage 20, he's going to put on a fireworks show. I think that stage is built for him and he's going to, he's going to put minutes into people. If Roman Bardet is in the conversation of GC, uh, that guy's going to lose 10 minutes of time to Primoz Roglic. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited for stage 20. I wish there was more uh, punishment stages um, on time (laughs) trial bikes, but I think that one's going to, I think that one may shake up um, the, the podium. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, stage 17, stage 17 looks like it's going to be electric. That's where you're going to see, that's where you're going to see guys dropping bombs on each other. Right on. I hope so. I, yeah, you mentioned, and we're going to talk about contenders next. You mentioned the way that, 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 uh, Enios, and we, we should mention too, Enios is, and we referred to them several times and they used to be team sky and they won several tours with team sky. And then they were bought by Enios for the tour. They're calling themselves the Enios Grenadiers. Um, because there's evidently a Enios, which is thing is an oil company. Um, it's a British petroleum company. Um, they have an automotive division, and and one of their cars that Enios Automotive is putting out right now is called the Grenadier. And so, almost like a soccer team, they're calling themselves the Enios Grenadiers for uh, for for this. And so, so Justin Dugan has said that a couple of times, the Grenadiers. So that's what that is. Which I don't know how I feel about that, by the way. I, I don't know whether it's kind of cool or, or it's just so baldly commercial. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the, course, the car no. looks pretty cool. And, okay, uh, okay that's a good point. I haven't actually seen the car. Their, their car looks great and their kit looks great. I think they're going to be a sharp-looking team uh, on the roads this year. Right on, right on. Okay, so but but I but I will agree. So when Justin Smith texted me that that Froome and Garant Thomas were not going to the tour, despite the fact that they are two of the last three Tour de France winners. Um, and he, and he said, here's the people on the team. And I was like, that's a team. That's a cohesive team. That's a no drama team. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, 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 that's a team. That's, that's a Lance Armstrong style team, right? Yep. Where 100%. everybody's on the same page. You're not going to be chasing stages. You're not really going to be all that worried about your sprinter. Um, you know, you're, you're there for one reason, one reason alone. Um, and, you know, like you said, you look at Jumbo Visma, they, you know, Tom Dumoulin is brilliant, but, he won the 2017 Giro. He was second at the 2018 Tour. Like, there could be some 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 heads butting here. Now they do have they do have uh, David Carapaz on that Enios team who won the the Giro d'Italia last year. And so maybe you know with Carapaz there that that might end some 
Carapaz, or Richard Carapaz, my bad. Yeah, Richard, Richard Carapaz. Uh, that might be a little bit of conflict, but I don't know. For some reason, he just doesn't strike me that way. So I think uh, I know we kind of gone back and forth on it, but I think there's possibility of some uh, um, like taking opportunities when they're when he's got a chance. I because Carapaz was second to Landa at Movie Star last year for the uh, for the Giro, and then he uh, he took his chances when it when Landa didn't look that great. Mm -hmm. So. With the way Bernal looked at the Criterium de Dauphiné, and you know he was going to be the leader at the Giro, and now he's coming to be support of the Tour. I I think if there's any weakness, he's going to go for it. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I think that's a great point. I was, I I know we're not getting to picking our GC guys or our podiums yet, but I I thought a similar thing where if if one chess piece comes out they have a backup one, kind of like how they had Froome and Garen Thomas when Froome didn't look so good and Garen Thomas won the tour. It's, they've got a one-two punch. Mm -hmm. And I think that Carapace understands his role as you do the work until somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Um, yeah, I, I think you're both right. And I think that's a really interesting point. Um, the, the, the only pushback I would say about Carapaz being, you know, out there for himself as opposed to being out there for the team is to say that Enios is different from Movistar. Mm -hmm. um, the culture yeah. at Enios is, is different from Movistar. <laughs> and and, and I, I think that Movistar, and, I, and, I, and as Justin Smith knows, I put that down to one person. I blame that entirely on Alejandro Valverde. Because if there has ever been a non-team player in all <laughs> of cycling, it is Alejandro Valverde. Um, and he has been on the Movistar team for 15 years. Um, like when, when, when they were cased to Parn and just like all that. The, he's been there for a really, really, really long time. And he's had a heavy influence on, on that team. And so I, I don't think that the team culture at, at, at Movistar is about like really all coalescing around a single team leader. Yeah. Um, and so at Ineos, well – I guess we'll see. I mean, I think you make a good point. You know, you, you, you took Carapaz out of, off of Movistar, but can you take the Movistar out of, out of Carapaz? <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> you know, Valverde is my stage four yellow jersey. Oh, oh, get out of here with that. That's not a bad call. Oh, yes, it's a terrible call. Uh, he's going to crash out on that, that, the descent off that first 8K climb in stage one. That's my call. <laughs> Don't say that because I had him picked to win the tour the, the year that he crashed in the prologue time trial and broke his knee. Oh, poor guy. No, um, I, 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 I do not. I do not wish bad things on anybody, except maybe Alejandro Valverde. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that Mads Pedersen won the, the, the world championship last year, since it looks like there's not going to be a world championship this year. So that Alejandro Valverde did, did, wasn't the one who was wearing it for uh, for two years. Um, but anyway, um, I'm, I'm looking for the same stage as y'all are. I'm, I'm excited about that, too. Uh, stage four, stage 17, stage 20. Um, I, I'm, I'm really, really excited about those. I think they're going to be cool. The, my sleeper stage, though, is stage 13. Um, there's yep, a summit I, finish. I, I marked um, that one, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's the one that, that I, I'm, I'm going to try and make time. You know, there's certain ones you kind of mark on your calendar, and you say, I'm going to try and make time to actually watch this entire stage. Um, that's kind of my sleeper stage. And I could be totally wrong about that. They could be, you know, it's, it comes at a bad time because it's right in the middle that mm -hmm. they could be all tired from the first half and still have so much in front of them that just, they're all just like, nope, not doing it. 
And and um, it's the day after a very long stage too. It's mm -hmm. it's a long stage and it's right after a two hundred k stage. Right. So right, you know, they could be just destroyed by the time they get there. Right. But mountaintop finishes though, um, you know it's it's we you know Justin Dugan, you joked before that that you were going to split the room with Lance Armstrong. We actually I think all three of us probably feel about the same about Lance Armstrong. Um, but um, one thing that he always talks about on his podcast is how much he hates downhills like descents into the finish mm -hmm. and i agree with him on that oh totally agree um because because what's the point of going hard up the climb if you're going to just go downhill into the finish but stage 13 the reason why i'm marking it and the reason why i'm putting it as a sleeper stage is because it's not a downhill finish it's a summit it's a, it's a mountaintop finish mm -hmm. um and that's always 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 a place where where time can be made um and you don't have to worry about somebody catching you on the descent. <laughs> yeah, we uh, there. There's very few instances that I can remember of really enjoying a downhill. I think you can think of Alaphilippe doing it or mm -hmm. Peter Sagan doing it, and otherwise, mm -hmm. it's just okay. Why why didn't it end up there? Right, right. The 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 one exception is the time that uh, that that Lance Armstrong went off into that field on the descent. Yes, yeah, so yeah, he ran through the through the grass. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 of course the uh, the poor guy that he was descending with crashed and and broke his hip and and all that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. you know, win some, lose some. So, um, all right, um, we uh, we I had put down that we wanted to talk about technology, but we're not going to talk about technology because alas, as, as we've already mentioned, there's not a whole lot of time traveling and there's not a whole lot of new technology. So let's go ahead and talk about our contenders here. Um, so long list of contenders: um, um, Bernal, Roglic, Dumoulin, Landa, Quintana, Thibaut Pino, Emmanuel Bookman. We didn't even talk about him. He's fourth last year. Um, uh, Richie Port, and we already did talk a little bit about him. Rigoberto Oram, we didn't talk about him. He was a second twice at the Giro and second at the 2017 Tour. Um, big contenders. Um, Justin Smith, who are your big contenders? Tell us about who's on your podium. All right, so I've got – we're not going to make you choose a winner. You can just say your podium. We'll make you choose a winner at the end. Okay. Well, so I'll – okay. So I got Pino, Bernal, really? and Roglic on my podium. Yeah. So Pino, who was yeah. the middle one? I heard you say Pino, somebody in Roglic? Uh, Bernal. Okay. Yeah, you said you said you said Pino. I didn't hear anything after that because I'm so shocked that after dogging out on the, the French guys, have, not, now you're choosing one. I have, I have him in third. He looked – Besides all the looking back, looking for help on that last stage of the <laughs> opening, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, okay. And, you know, he's, you know, he has that one, he has the Richie Port stage where he drops out, but I, I think, I think it's about time for him. Mm -hmm. All right. Very we'll good. See. Very good. Um, Bernal, you know, with Enios, we already talked about, he has a whole team built around him. He's a defending champion. Uh, last year he won. He was the youngest winner in more than a hundred years. He was the first Colombian ever to win. Um, and he, yeah, the cry deer dim Dauphiné, the, the, the one week stage race that was last week, that was kind of like the final tune up here. Um, he didn't look great. Um, but at the same time, if I, if I'm doing a tune out race, a tune up race before my target race, two weeks later, I'm not going to look great in that race either. Cause I'm going to yeah. purposely bring a lot of fatigue mm -hmm. into it. Yeah. So, and, and um, that was, and they also, from what I had, this is what they said. I don't know if this is just them, you know, the Ineos uh, media guys trying to make it not look so bad, but they had just come out of a big training block. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Which is, which is when you should have been. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Primoz Roglic won one stage at the, at the, the, the Criterium Dauphiné, but then I don't even know if he ended up finishing. Um, 
and so he, he dropped no, out. He, he, I think yeah, he dropped out that last stage. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so I think I'm maybe I may maybe I'm holding Bernal to a to a standard that I'm not holding Roglic to, and, and that's probably not fair. Um, From what I heard, he was out riding his bike, and people said he looked pretty good the days that he wasn't in the race. They said he, mm-hmm. you know, kind of waved waved his uh, hand at people and was just like, "Yep, I'm." Taking it easy, like that's it's over for me here. All right, very good. So it might be strategic. Yeah, which is, I get that. I totally get that. As as a coach and as an athlete, I totally get that. What's the point of doing well in the Criterium Dauphiné and and wasting your tour? You don't leave yeah. your tour in the Dauphiné. You know, um, you you don't you don't leave your 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 A race on the track. You you know you you you're supposed to focus on the big events. Justin Dugan, who are the big contenders for you? Um. I like I said before, I'm I'm a big um, I was a big Sky guy. I'm a big Enios guy, and now I'm a Enios Grenadier guy. I think the team that they assembled <laughs> is, I, I think, I, they're not unbeatable, but they are going to be the team to beat. I think that as far as cycling being a team sport, they have built an incredible team to support Egan Bernal, mm-hmm. and if he is. If he's on form like he was last year, he is going to be the man on the top step. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Richard Carapaz is going to be a contender because that team likes having a 1-2 or a 1-3 on the podium. So I think that that guy is going to be with him constantly in the mountains. He's going to be the last guy to fall off of that train uh, on every climb. And I think that I think you're going to see a lot of the two of those guys together. I think uh, UAE has a strong team, and I think Tadej Pogacar is going to be up there. He's one of those guys that even with without the team, I'm, I'm not going one, two, three yet. I'll, I'm giving just five generalized. All um, right. I so, was going to say, that's a dark horse of the podium, Tadej Pogacar. Um, uh, I, I like it, though. Keep going. I, I like him. I think he's, I think he's strong. He, I, I was telling my wife this morning and she is very, very tired of hearing about Tour de France. <laughs> uh, so thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. I, I think he's really good. I think he's going to take advantage of two big trains pulling guys up the hill and he's going to attack. He's young, he's hungry, he's fantastic. And he's going to be there. Um, Miguel Angel Lopez. I like him. I think he's a, I think he's a fun rider to watch. He's, he's exciting. And I think he's going to light some things up or not. You know, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. I hope he does because he's great. He's going to be big in the climbs. If he's not, then we're not going to see him at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to see him up there. I think he's, I think he's good. And uh, Primoz Roglic, if, if he's not on the podium, I think it's a wasted tour for that whole team mm-hmm. uh, and, and a pretty much wasted year because mm-hmm. I think that that team it's a team of all stars. I mean, if you've ever gotten together with the the best guys in a sport and played a pickup game of basketball, you know, it's like watching, you know, it's like watching the, the all-star game. It's, it's just dunk after dunk after dunk. And I think those guys are going to be doing that in the tour. It's just, can they put it all together and win the tour with one of the best time, three of the best time trialists in the sport. Um, some of the best all rounders. I mean, their team is, their team is stacked. It's mm-hmm. just, can they put those guys together and win the tour? Right on. I agree. I agree. Yeah, Miguel Andalo has, I think, is interesting. Um, you know, rides for Astana has a couple of first tour, um, has has a couple of podium finishes at, at other Grand Tours. Um, I I I don't I don't quite see him breaking through. Um, <laughs> I kind of put him in the same category as all of these guys, like Thibaut Pino, um, mm-hmm. who who are always kind of in the top five, the top ten, but never quite break through. 
you know, I put Mikhail Landa in that same category um, mm-hmm. that, that I just don't, I, I think they're obviously brilliant cyclists. I mean, they're finishing in the top 10, Bauk Molema, um, uh, TJ Van Garderen. Um, they're finished in the top 10 of the, of the tour um, and of other grand tours multiple times, but just never quite, maybe onto the podium, but, but certainly never the top step. So, so I, just, I just don't quite put him there yet. But I am interested to see how he does. I mean, it is his first, his first tour de France. Um, that, uh, so that, that's why I'm throwing him in there. Maybe, maybe a number five. He's not going to be on the podium, but I'm, I'm hoping that he just has an electric tour. I, you know, I'd like to see some big things out of him. Right on, right on. And, and I, I don't know why I'm so much on the Roglic train, because uh, I, I, I agree with you. He's, he's, he's fantastic. He was third in the Giro last year. He won the Vuelta last year. I think like that combo was super impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it was the first ever Grand Tour win in the Vuelta. It was the first ever Grand Tour win for Slovenia. He was a Slovenian guy. Um, and he's looked great so far this year. He won the, the, the Tour de Lane um, earlier this year um, and, and just looked strong, looked solid. Um, and so, so I, I, I definitely would kind of put him there. Um, y'all are talking me around about Egan Bernal. Um, I like Egan Bernal and I think he's good, but something, I, I have this sort of spidey sense about him being flash in the panish. And, mm-hmm. and I would love to be wrong about that. Um, something, I mean, I think it might be because last year he was doing well and, and then they had that weird landslide on the stage where he took the yellow Jersey and that, mm-hmm. that just, I, I don't feel like I've ever quite seen Egan Bernal. I guess we've seen him in the smaller races, but I've never seen Egan Bernal just suddenly just destroy everybody. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so does your tour last year have an asterisk next to it? Because so. <laughs> he won the yellow jersey on a shortened stage? So, so it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, and, I, and I like him as a person. I like him as a guy. I, I, I like that, that he's uh, this young Colombian. I think it was high time a Colombian won the, the Tour de France, given, given their history with the race. Uh, and so I was really, really happy to see that. And, and that meant a lot to him, and he understood the significance of that. And I think that that's something that you know, I think he's – I like the guy. Um, but I, I would like to see him do something dominant. Like Naira Quintana is in the race this year, um, and he's had a good season so far as well. Um, he's out off the Movistar team. <laughs> he's out from under the Movistar cloud, um, and and he's on Arkea, I think it's called the the a team. Yep. Yeah, Arkea Samsic. Um, but you know, 2014 Giro winner, uh, 2016 Vuelta winner, uh, second twice in the Tour. Um, I have seen him, we've all seen him do some dominant things Definitely. on, on some big mountaintop finishes. And so I, I would like to see him and, and I, I would put him somewhere near the top as well. Um, so, and then, so, so I would say Quintana, uh, Roglic, assuming that Roglic can, and gets along with Dumoulin, cause I think that's pretty critical. Um, and then I like what y'all are saying around Bernal and Carapaz. I think that's sort of interesting. Um, that the two of them are kind of kind of be a one-two punch. I think I, th- I think that'll kind of be interesting to see. Very good, very good. Um, let's talk about who's not going to be there. <laughs> uh, Chris Froome and Geraint Thomas, the 2017 champ and the 2018 champ, respectively. Um, Thomas was actually second last year um, in 2019, mm-hmm. which is something I had forgotten. Um, uh, so neither one of them are going to be there. Um, Froome had a real heavy crash right before the tour last year, had a compound fracture of his femur. I think it was. Um, Oh, he broke uh, everything last year. Yeah. Just an awful, awful thing in the criterion of Dauphiné last year. Um, and, uh, and so it was questionable even to be able to return to cycling period. Um, and so the fact that he's back at all is, is a win. Um, but they say that he's Mm -hmm. focusing on the Vuelta. Um, Geraint Thomas, again, Second last year, the winner two years ago, uh, he's focusing on the Giro instead. Um, yeah, 
what do you, let's see, I, I want to say Justin Smith, you said before, or Justin Dugan said, said the interview with him made him look like a company man that he's not real <laughs> happy about it. Um, I mean, what do you, what, what do y'all think about that? Justin Smith, what do you think about that, uh, that, that leaving the two of them off? Um, I think that they want to target all three grand tours. Hmm. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, when all they make all their decisions with that team, there's no, there's no, uh, they don't care much about previous results. It's what you can do right now. So mm -hmm. it's pretty shocking. I mean, Froome, I expected him not to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I thought it was a possibility, but, you know, with the injury not riding well and then leaving the team, but, uh, Thomas, that was a bit of, that was a major shock. So I'm, that's surprising. Uh, I know he's going to the Giro, but yeah, he's definitely not thrilled about going to the Giro. <laughs> it, it, it's funny. I think Thomas was more of a shock than for him too. I agree with you on that. I mean, you know, he was second last year behind Bernal. Um, and, um, but it's funny cause uh, uh, you can tell they announced this on what Wednesday um, and, and we're recording yeah. this on Saturday, one week out. Um, they, they, they announced it maybe on Wednesday, I think it was. You can tell who wrote and who recorded their, their <laughs> previews early because all these people are like, oh, I think Thomas is going to be on the podium. No, he ain't because <laughs> he's not in the race. <laughs> um, Justin Dugan, what do you think about the, 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 the two, two of the last three winners being not on the squad? Uh, so if, if you ask any of my buddies that I ride with, they will tell you that I've been saying Froome is not going to the tour for months now. Mm -hmm. And I, I've been watching the writing on the wall with the team that they've been building, with the riders they've been bringing in, the people who have been racing. And I'm like, there's no way Froome is going. Mm -hmm. you know, unless he is better than he was right. before he was injured, there's no way he's on that team. And everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, no, you, you can't leave him off. Easy, leave him off. I, yeah. There's no, there's no need for him there. If they are not, if they're not utilizing him as the GC candidate, he has no business being on that team. He's, he's not going to do the work watching the Dauphiné. It was interesting to see him just not, I mean, he wasn't even in the race and mm -hmm. anybody that thought, Oh, well, maybe they're holding him back. They weren't holding him back. He's, he's not ready. He's, I don't know if he'll ride a grand tour this year. You know, that's, that's really? my take already. I think that they said, Garrett, you're riding this one. Froome, you're riding this one. Say goodbye to the tour. You know, and I think Froome being, um, or excuse me, uh, Garrett Thomas being left off the team is that those guys work very well together. They are, hmm. they've been together a long time. They've raced the yeah. Tour de France a long time together, and they want to have a team that is 100% for Egan Bernal, you know, with mm -hmm. Dylan Van Barl and um, with Luke Rowe and Mikel Kwiatkowski, those three guys, plus, you know, Sivakov, plus Carapaz, you know, they're, they're going to be built for Egan Bernal. I, I, I think those guys are going to be a train pulling him around all of France. I agree. I agree uh, very much. I think it's interesting what you say about, about, um, about the two of them sort of being a unit. And so if you pull one off, you have to kind of pull the other one off too. I think that's an interesting point. Um, right. Um, and I think, I think you're right. I think Chris Froome is more willing to work for Garen Thomas and Garen Thomas is more willing to work for Chris Froome than they are for anybody else. I think that's yeah. an excellent point. Yeah. And like I said before, I feel like the, the Ineos Grenadiers, it's like team, no drama. Um, oh, yeah. even though Justin Smith points out, 
Carrot Paws might be bringing some of that movie star drama with him. <laughs> there drama. There drama. If, we'll see. if you guys want to see some of that movie star drama, there's a great documentary on Netflix. I've heard. Um, and, and it'll help you with your learning of Spanish, too, because I watched it <laughs> and uh, had to read all the subtitles. Um, but it's, it's good to see the inner workings of that team during that whole situation. Right on, right on. Very good, very good. Um, yeah, for me, I wasn't. I agree with you. I wasn't surprised by Froome. I was a little bit surprised by Thomas. But I think what what you're saying uh, about the two of them being a unit definitely makes sense there. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I I think it's sort of an interesting situation. But I think that that it's going to ultimately make Ineos a more successful team. The Ineos Grenadiers a more successful team at the Tour de France. Um, I do. Uh, Mark Cavendish. Speaking of British people who aren't going to be there, Mark Cavendish isn't going to be there. <laughs> Um, so Mark Cavendish um, has won 48 Grand Tour stages. He's won 30 Tour de France stages. Um, he was the uh, the green jersey winner way back in 2011. Um, and he's not going. He's on Bahrain McLaren just because he's not in the team's plans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yeah. He also had a very funny uh, Instagram post talking about not going. And um, if you've watched him – I mentioned that he wasn't going to my wife this morning and she said, well, he always crashes early anyway and he's not there. And I was like, wow, you, you must've listened to me for the last couple of years. That's right. She's been picking things up. I'm actually yep. a Mark Cavendish fan. I mean, uh, I am he, too. I, so, so, I so, so talk about people who divide the room. Um, I'm a Mark Cavendish fan. I've always liked him. Uh, I don't much like Alberto Contador. I like Mark Cavendish, but, um, but, uh, uh, I'm not surprised by this one either. Um, I like Mark Cavendish, but I think he, I, I think his best days are behind him. Um, and I think that, that Bahrain McLaren wanted to build a team similar to what Ineos wanted to do, kind of wanted to build a team around, around Mikhail Landa. Um, they are bringing a sprinter with them, but it's more of an up and coming sprinter. Um, and so we'll see. Um, I don't think Mikhail Landa is going to do anything. I, I don't think that he's going <laughs> to, going to, you know, really honor that for Bahrain McLaren. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, the, the, the most vocal critic of Mikhail Landa will be Mark Cavendish on Instagram, um, which would definitely be fun, but, but we'll see. We'll the, see. Those guys do on Bahrain, they do have a former, Enio Sky kind of one two with Wolf Poles and Mikel Landa. So those guys, those guys know some of those tactics. And if they're mm-hmm. building a team for GC, they they could be up there too. Good point. I'll put it out here right now. Assuming they both finish the race, Wout Poles will finish higher than Mikel Landa. I, I would t- I would uh, I would go with you on that bet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Steven Kroiswick's not going to be there. Uh, we were talking a lot about Jumbo Visma. He was third last year, um, crashed in the Criterion de Dauphiné, and I want to say stage three of the Criterion de Dauphiné, uh, and broke. I think he broke his clavicle. Or he, he broke his shoulder, is what they said. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it was his clavicle or his scapula or both. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, he'll be missed uh, for sure. Um, uh, Dylan Toynes from Barry McLaren, same thing. Uh, he won on the Planche Belfield last year. Uh, Renko Evenpole um, from the Kuna Quickstep is not going to be there because he had a super heavy crash in Il Lombardia, uh, broke his pelvis. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's won like all these one-week stu- uh, uh, stages races this year. Uh, he's not going to be there. Um, Vincenzo Nibali has won all three Grand Tours. He's not going to be there. He was a 2014 Tour winner uh, from mm-hmm. Czech Segofredo this year. He's focused on the Giro. Um, Michael Matthews won the green jersey in 2017 for Sunweb. He's not going to be there this year. I think he's, I think he's, fo- is, he, is he focused on the classics? Is that what he's doing? I um, think so. Yeah. Wh- wherever Peter Sagan's not going to be. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, again, circling back around to one of the very first things we talked about is that, that, um, 
this tour is so hard that you have to kind of choose. Mm -hmm. You can't be like, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do the tour and then I'm going to do really well in the classics. The classics are only a couple weeks later, only a few yep. weeks later. Um, and so if you wreck yourself in the tour or if you try really, really, really hard, um, get all the way through the tour, you may win on the Champs-Élysées. That's great. That's fantastic. But that's going to be your whole year. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, so yeah, Justin Smith, what do you think? Um, about the, about, about, about the tough tour making Michael Matthews not want to be oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Like, I think if you're gonna, if you want to do the classics, I think you just stick to the classics. I yeah. think it's just too much with the tour unless yeah. you're going to plan on dropping out early, but you know, mm -hmm. now yeah. with team size down to eight, it's kind of, you know, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Difficult. Um, speaking of people who are going to be there, but are also good classic writers, uh, Julian Alaphilippe from Dakuna Quickstep. He's going to be there, right? Yes. Yeah. He was the, 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 everybody's favorite writer in last year's tour. <laughs> <laughs> the consolation prize. Uh, so yeah, he ended up finishing fifth, but had 14 days in the yellow jersey. I think it was uh, mm -hmm. a Frenchman and had that time trial was exciting. He had, yeah. when he, when he skidded out after that time trial at the, the, the end of the stage last year, that, that was exciting. Um, he was fun to watch last year. Um, an aggressive yellow jersey is always fun to watch. Um, certainly there. Um, uh, Matthew Vanderpoel is not going to be there, by the way. I should say that. That's just because his team is small and his team's not going to be there. And so I wonder if Matthew Vanderpoel is actually going to have an advantage in some of the classics because he's so inclined towards classic writing anyway. Um, Definitely. Uh, Wout Van Aert. What do you all think Wout Van Aert's going to do? Jumbo Vismas, former cyclocross rider, won both Strada Bianca and Milan San Remo this year and is on fire. Yeah, I think he's, uh, he's my other guy for stage four, taking the yellow jersey. And I think hmm. when you look at the green jersey this year, I mean, I think he has a really good shot at it. I think Interesting. he's just as well-rounded as Sagan is, so, mm -hmm. and riding better than Sagan, so I think he has a good shot at it. Right on, right on. What do you think, Justin Dugan? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, saying that he's got the shot at the green jersey, I, I was thinking that earlier today because Peter Sagan is usually very loud in the spring. He's usually doing a lot of things. You see him everywhere, and I know this year he's been very quiet. Yeah. And is it because his form is off? Is it because, you know, he's kind of been too public and he's trying to scale it back and just ride his bike? Or is it because Woot Van Art is going to take his shirt? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I, I, honestly, Woot Van Art looks incredible. And I think there's several stages in the first week that, that he could win. And mm -hmm. I, if, if Jumbo Visma takes their eyes off of the 20, you know, the 21st day and lets him have a little bit of fun, I think he's going to, I think he's going to beat some guys up because he is really, really looking good. I think that's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about Wout Van Aert as a green jersey contender until Justin Smith just said it, and I think that's really interesting. So Peter Sagan is the next person that was on my list of riders to also watch. So Peter Sagan has won the green jersey seven times now. It should really be eight, um, but but the one time he didn't win in 2017 when Michael Matthews won instead, it's because he was disqualified for something he might not should have been disqualified for that took place during, yeah, during the sprint. Yeah. Um, and so, so he would have literally won the last eight green jerseys. And the reason for that, of course, is not because he's the best bunch sprinter, because he's, he's so versatile and he ends up getting all these points on these medium mountain stages and stuff. 
but yeah, I think it's interesting what you say about Wout Van Art. He can do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. All right. I might actually be interested in the green Jersey race for the first time in a little while this year. So very good. Richard Carapaz, we already talked about, and then you can't talk about the, the tour without mentioning Mads Pedersen, the, uh, the, the guy from Denmark, who's the current world champion. He's me wearing the, the, the rainbow Jersey there for Trek Segafredo during the race. So um, I think it'd be cool to see him do something. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, other, other people to watch other final thoughts here. Uh, We've been talking about the tour for a while. I hope we scratched your itch, Justin Dugan. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely did. Your, your, your wife is going to be fired up. You're not going to talk about the tour for a week. I know. Until yeah, it I'll, starts. I'll, I'll, I'll ask her how our day is tomorrow. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, Justin Smith, final words? Um, just excited. I'm, I'm ready to see the port uh, stage where he'll be out of it. Um, so gonna, do you think he's going to take TJ Van Garderen out with him? Probably. I love T. I love yeah. TJ. Um, I, I hope he's listening, and uh, I, I hope he finishes. But yeah, those guys usually go out early. Yeah, we should have mentioned yeah. three Americans in the race. Three Americans in the race. TJ Van Garderen, who is originally from Tacoma, Washington's in the race, um, and is the oldest of the group, and and never quite broke through. Um, mm-hmm. Even though we certainly like him. Um, uh, uh, Seb Coos is in the race um, and he is on he's from Colorado and he's on Yumbo Visma uh, he won stage five of the Criterion Rodofine just a week ago mm-hmm. uh, looks to be fit wow. and is probably going to contribute to that team he was a stage winner at the Volta last year um, and uh, and Nielsen Paulus who was born in 1996 um, <laughs> is, oh is, in the, is in the Tour de France um, from, uh, from Education First. Um, he's from California. Did the Vuelta last year, uh, and this will be his first Tour de France. Yeah. Um, very good. Very good. Um, gentlemen, enjoyed it. Last word. Who's going to win? Justin Smith, who's going to win? One person. Roglic. Roglic. Who's going to win, Justin Dugan? Egan. All right. Very good. I'm going to go with Roglic as well. So, wow. Justin, Justin Dugan, you can come back on after the tour and just rub our noses in it when, uh, when Bernal just goes, goes riding away from, from Roglic there on that stage 17 up to the, the Col de la Los. I uh, look forward to it. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for being with me. Thank you, George. This was awesome. Thank you. Enjoy the tour. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Twitter at pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com on Twitter at itlcoaching at Facebook, facebook.com slash performance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx, that's the number four, here4slayerx, on Instagram at here for SlayRx, again the number four, and on Twitter at official SlayRx. Don't forget the discount code Pleasant2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.